Welcome to episode three of Days of Roar, Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Borash. I am here with my partner, beat writer at the Free Press, Evan Petzold. Ev, how you doing? You've been traveling and traversing the state of Florida in a car more than Atlas Van Lines this week. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm actually pretty tired right now. It's been a, a long couple of days just considering the Tigers were playing on Saturday in Jupiter. And then I went to the WBC to see Team USA play against Team Venezuela on, uh, on, on Saturday night. And then was back for another Tigers game in West Palm Beach on Sunday and then drove back to Lakeland. And then Monday comes around and Clubhouse opens at, at 8.20 a.m. And you're in the door there and kind of off to another week. So wow, I'm, 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 I've been busy. I've been busy. You're driving more miles than a 14-year-old travel baseball coach. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it, right? But counting down the days as well. I mean, opening day is, is honestly, it feels like it's right around the corner with the, the opening day being March 30th, Tigers against the Tampa Bay Rays. It's, it's coming quick, Mark. It's coming quick, and a lot has to be sorted out before we get to there. I just want to know, did you give Miguel a ride back to Lakeland, or did he give you a ride back? You know, Miguel and Jonathan Scope had a little back and forth once Jonathan Scope got uh, got eliminated. He was playing for Team Netherlands in the WBC, and uh, the morning that he got back to Lakeland, Miguel Cabrera calls him on the phone, right? And so Jonathan Scope picks up, and he's kind of wondering, okay, like, why, why is Miguel calling me right now? And Miguel, obviously, is going to, you know, play some games with him, uh, make him feel a little crummy for, for getting eliminated earlier than, honestly, everybody expected. That Netherlands team was pretty good, especially that infield that they had, but they got knocked out before even getting to the single elimination bracket. And Miguel calls and say, hey, where, where are you at? And Jonathan says, uh, I'm in Lakeland. Where, where do you think I am? And he goes, oh, you're back already? And, and they kind of had a, a back and forth banter. But, you know, only a couple of days later, Miguel Cabrera gets eliminated and, and Team Venezuela is out of the WBC. Team USA knocked him out. It was it was a crazy game, Mark. Let me tell you, that atmosphere was, was something special. And I want to know your take on this, too, before we dive into Tigers. What, what do you think about this WBC talk? We've seen guys like Jose Altuve go down with an injury. Um, we've seen Edwin Diaz go down with an injury. Edwin Diaz, a season-ending injury. And then obviously Altuve with a, a broken hand. And people are saying, oh, you know, these, these games don't matter. These games don't matter. You've watched some WBC. And I was there for the game on Saturday between USA and Venezuela. And to me, it seems like it matters. I, I want to know what you think, though. Well, I'm watching right now U.S pummeling Cuba 7-1 in the fifth. Hey, look, if you ever play sports, every time you walk out there, you can get hurt. So whether it's a spring game or a WBC game, people are getting injured. And the idea that you shouldn't be playing in the WBC because of injury risk is just nonsense. I would say the players feel the same way about it. And look, Freeman, I think, pulled a hammy and that's going to yeah. hold him back for a while. And but these things all happen in spring training. Guys get hurt in spring training all the time. Look at Gavin Lux. Gavin Lux, not a WBC injury, out for the year. So it it happens. I think the WBC is great, open-minded to anything they want to do to change the time. I, I think it'll be really difficult to change when they do the WBC to anything more than spring training unless they want to do it after the year and then people aren't going to want to do it. You can't make the All-Star break too long. So you're pretty much left with what you got right here. And all these players have known they're going to play, so they ramped up their training probably a little more aggressively than they would if they were in pure spring training. It's an unbelievable event. 
based upon the crowds and the TV ratings. So it, it is what it is, people. It's baseball. It's the highest level of baseball. It's patriotic baseball. Enjoy it for what it is. And like I said, I, I think it's been a lot of fun and it's a good way to go into the year. Now, you couldn't have said it better. I, I, I agree with you there. I think players love it. I think some clubs obviously hate it, just considering the fact that those are their star players over there playing and injuries obviously impact the regular season. And, you know, that's where these clubs make their money is the, the regular season. And, you know, we can get into a whole rabbit hole of that. We're not going to do it. But yeah. I, th- I, I think all in all, though, it's good for the players. It's good for the fans. And most importantly, it's good for baseball. And I think that's what matters. And we can't lose sight of that. Period. All right. Let's get into the week. Let's let's jump on the bad stuff that we won't talk about too long. But give me the rundown on Jackson Joe. We'll talk about it for a minute. Yeah. What a, what a disappointment. I mean, that, it, it was just so... You know, kind of felt the air sucked out of Tiger Town for a minute there when a, a medical report of all things comes out. It hits the emails. No, no heads up that that was coming. No idea kind of what was going on. It's actually funny. You know, a bunch of us reporters were all asking to talk to Jackson Job for a few weeks. Actually, it, it had been a while. Jeff Seidel, who was down here for the Free Press, covering it for for a while, had talked to a ton of minor leaguers, and he kept asking for Jackson Job, and for some reason, he couldn't get Jackson Job. And then suddenly there's a, an email that just kind of randomly shows up and it's a, a medical update. And Jackson Job reported spine discomfort at some earlier point in spring training. It wasn't specified when that was. We don't, we don't know when he reported spine discomfort, but at some point in spring training, he did and has been diagnosed with lumbar spine inflammation. And that's going to be sidelining him for three to six months. He went to an orthopedic spine surgeon, Dr. Thomas Tolley in St. Petersburg, Florida. And for the most part, that's kind of all we know. That's all we know. It's going to be three to six months before he starts his return to play program. Return to play program is kind of like after the rehab portion, but before you actually get into game. So like you rehab. And then I, I think the way that it works, again, we don't really know a lot of the details because you know that, that information has not, not been provided. And also there hasn't really been anybody to ask about those type of things. But I'm assuming that, and this is me assuming, uh, return to play program means like starting to play catch. So if that's six months, I mean he's he's out for the year. Um, that that's how it seems. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to keep this short and sweet. But and I've talked to you off off air about this. I had some pretty severe back problems beginning first of July last year. Took me seven months to recover. Had a herniated disc. I don't know what the heck. Tigers put on the injury report, but, you know, inflammation, spine discomfort is about a 10-day rehab with uh, some ice and some heat, Uh, a herniated disc. Yeah, that could be up to six months. So if I'm going to make a guess, it's something a little more severe than they're discussing. I want to once again say I am not a doctor. I am a Google doctor, but in this particular case, I actually had the injury. It was not fun. Yes, I am old, but doesn't matter what age you are if you incur this type of injury. That's about the timeline to get it fixed. There's various ways of trying to treat it. They did not operate on me, but if I was an athlete of uh, Jackson Job's caliber and I was going to miss an entire year, it would at least have been part of my treatment discussion to get a discectomy if he has a herniated disc. It's pretty non-invasive, and the recovery time is pretty short, shorter than six months. So that's my two cents about it. One day we'll find out the truth. 
Remember that Casey Mize also had a surgical procedure on his back, likely for the same thing, this winter after enduring some discomfort over a two-year period. So, you know, the Tigers should be pretty familiar with it. It's unfortunate, and, you know, I, I wish the kid the best. I think it also goes back into the same long-winded lament that you and I and many people inside even the draft room uh, of why did we take a right-handed high school starting pitcher who'd thrown 60 innings instead of Marcelo Mayer. But it's just, you know, I don't want to even get into it. Just the nail in the coffin of foolishness of prior front office administrations. So No, I, I think, look, look, if, if, if you're – if you're the Tigers and you were picking Jackson Job, I mean, I, I I kind of understand it to a point, but you also are expecting that 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 pick to become not only a good pitcher but like a great pitcher. And so, yeah, there's a risk involved, and obviously, we know that you know, high school pitchers are more likely to get injured, and and we've seen that over and over and over again. The risk factor is just significantly higher. Um, so yeah, it's frustrating. And then, and as to the medical stuff, look, like I mean, that's I I think the Tigers kind of leave the door open to speculation because. There hasn't been a lot of conversations about it. We tried to talk to Ryan Garko, the vice president of player development. The Tigers declined to make him available for comment. Um, the Tigers have not made Scott Harris, president of baseball operations, available for comment. I don't really know exactly what lumbar spine inflammation is. I've never had back issues. I've never had to, to deal with any of that stuff. I, I don't really know what spine discomfort feels like. So I'm not, I'm not super qualified to speak on the subject. And so I guess, you know, if, if Jackson Job went to Dr. Thomas Tolley, and Dr. Thomas Tolley said, you have lumbar spine inflammation and that's all that you have, then I guess the Tigers have provided us with all the information that they have. I, I don't know if that's the case. I'm also, I'm not in those rooms, so I, I don't know the answer to that. But it, it seems a little weird that no one's willing to, to, to talk about this and explain, you know, when exactly did he report this, this discomfort and kind of what, what exactly is going on? Like I, maybe it is just lumbar spine inflammation and that that's all that they got out of it. And Suddenly, that means he's out three to six months. I, I, I don't really know. So I, I don't want to jump all over that. But to your point, like the, it, it, it's, it's hard to say. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't been able to ask anybody any questions about it. It's just, you know, go take a look at the medical update. And that was on the medical update. So that's it. I think we'll, we'll just choose to move on from this because it's, it's a terrible look. And let's start talking about more fun things. And, and when you talk about more fun things... I think near the top of the list of this spring training is the bat of one Colt Keith. How much fun is this kid? How much fun is this kid? It's a lot of fun. It is spring training. It isn't the greatest pitching in the world, but, you know, when he touched that one off a couple of days ago on a first pitch fastball, I was like, oh, my goodness. 427 feet, 111.4 miles per hour off the bat. It's, it's a missile. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I think he, he took an 0 for 3 today. I do know he hit the ball hard twice. That's all you can do. Um, he hit one. I think got caught up in the wind a little bit today that he hit pretty well when you were there. But, you know, I, I think what we're discussing with Colt Keith is it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So once he gets 250, 300 at-bats in the minor leagues, if he has figured out a a place where he can play passable defense, then it'll be fun to see what happens. I'll be kind of shocked if he does not. If he if he continues to hit the ball like this, you know, I think it's reasonable to expect 
anytime after the All-Star break. Um, he is probably in the mix to start seeing some major league playing time. And I think I said to you, getting a little ahead of myself, if he plays an adequate enough third base, wouldn't be shocked to see Nick Maton play second base. But it should be a lot of fun, be fun to watch him. Uh, one of the better hitters we've had come through the system in a long time. And like I said, should be interesting to see how this all plays out during the course of the season. We can talk about Isaac Pacheco being a, a third base prospect also of substance and be interesting to see how that resolves itself during the course of the year too. He's a year behind and still has a lot more to prove than Cole Keith. But yeah, Cole Keith, a lot of fun. I understand it's spring training too. Like I get the point that you're trying to make, you know, early on when you're talking about Colt, but like the way that he's hitting the ball and how hard he's hitting the ball. And also more importantly than any of that, like what we know about this guy's makeup, what we know about his mindset, the way that he thinks about the game, the way that he's gone about it too. Like we, we've had this conversation before, Mark. He's a guy that went and said, hey, I want to be better at this. And he got better at it. And then he wanted to be better at something else. And he got better at that. He wanted to hit for more power. He did that. He wants to improve his third base defense. I'm not really sure if he's done that because I, I don't think he's a, a, a good defender at third base, but I think he's he's serviceable for now at least. But look, it, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter if he plays third base. It doesn't matter if he plays the outfield at, at a corner spot. Like if he's hitting the way that he's hitting, who cares? Like who cares? That that bat is going to be be a, a, an elite bat in the middle of an order if he continues to do what he's doing and, and continues on this trend. It's a three four in the middle of the order bat, you don't get too many of those. So nope. you put them wherever uh, you want. Maybe even first base. Shoot. Maybe even first base. Could be. May have to move Torkelson back to third base. Nah, I don't think we're gonna move <laughs> Torkelson back. That's that that's an inside joke, by the way. Um and yeah, David Chad, Torkelson at third base. Maybe somebody can play this for you. Uh yeah, they're not ever playing Torkelson at third base again, even in a slow pitch softball game. So let's get that clear. All right, so let's let's move on from the fun of Cole Keith to talk about really something that's pretty important to the season. Something we started discussing two weeks ago when we tried to calm what were some pretty choppy waters and a lot of whining and complaining. One Spencer Torkelson, we told people that uh, he looked pretty good. And he's done nothing but hit scud since then. Tell me, you saw the first home run last night. What, what, what's your impressions? Uh, you've you've watched quite a few swings this week. What are you thinking? I'm just happy the numbers are starting to show up because, again, we were talking about you know everything that he's doing behind the scenes and his process and all the hard hit balls that were going for outs and. And we talked about some of the expected stats versus the actual stats and kind of what that means and the trend that we should be looking towards. And now we're seeing it. I mean, it was just the other day that I wrote, hey, look, like you're going to see his first home run soon. Like it's it's going to happen. It's bound to happen. And it's happening. It's happening. Entering Monday, the guy's hitting 300 in spring training. I know it's spring training, but he's hitting 300, three doubles, a homer. Um, the home run that he actually hit probably wasn't one of his better hit balls. I mean, it was still it was still well hit. Uh, make no mistake, there was a changeup that went in that he swung and missed at. Um, and then he allowed the, the the next pitch, it was a fastball, to travel a little bit deeper in the zone, wasn't afraid to sit on it for a second, react to it, sent it over into right field, and it was a, a nice oppo homer. And it, it was a good piece of hitting. It was this good, smart piece of hitting. I, I like to see that out of Torque, obviously, but he's in a good place. He's confident, too. He talks about, you know, being able to hit fastballs this season and this spring and what he's been able to do in that sense. And it's just, I'm getting back to who I am. And he sounds so confident 
when he says it. And, and we saw it early on. He stuck to his process. Now it's paying off. And everybody that was complaining about him hitting like 150 or whatever a week and a half ago, they're pretty quiet now. So he, he's doing his part, no doubt. It's, uh, I think everybody feels a little bit better, especially Spencer Torkelson. And now you've gone from a bat you were worried about to a bat that may in fact hit cleanup. I put a couple of batting order projections out today versus righties and lefties. And if he's going to swing the bat like this, he's going to hit four hole and probably Riley Green's going to hit three hole. And then they can figure out how to make it up surrounding them. But it's good to get a middle order of the bat swinging well, and especially one they've put so much trust into. I'm glad for the kid and put in the work, made the tweaks, having the success. We'll check back in in a month and see if we are still on the, on the same train, but uh, it'll make the season a lot more enjoyable if he's a competitive uh, quality hitter. Well, that's the big question too, though, Mark, is like, can he sustain this? Can he do this into the regular season? And I guess you kind of say credit to the Tigers, credit to Scott Harris and, and A.J. Hinge for trusting in this guy. We had talked about it throughout the offseason. You know, hey, are they going to get a backup plan? Are they going to bring somebody else into camp who could possibly play first base? What if, what if Torkelson's not able to put it together in spring? What if he looks like a complete disaster? All these kinds of questions. Everybody was talking about his swing. A.J. Hinge said earlier in camp that Spencer Torkelson's not under a microscope. But he definitely, without a doubt, was under a microscope. And he brought himself out of that. I don't feel like there's that microscope on him anymore now that he's started to hit and he's shown that he can hit fastballs. And the Tigers obviously believed in it. They believed in it throughout throughout the offseason and, and they acted accordingly. But it's, it's, yeah, can he continue to do this? Can he take this into the regular season where scouting reports are going to be kind of on the forefront of everybody's mind and there aren't going to be first-pitch fastballs in the same way anymore and people are going to start to realize you know, where are the zones that he's doing damage? Let's not pitch to those areas. We know the regular season isn't the same as spring training. I still think what we're seeing is super encouraging, but we really got to see it in the regular season before we're, we're, we're kind of all in. But this is as encouraging as you can get. Yeah, well, here's my take on it. If we're going to kill the guy when he's terrible and express all this concern and, you know, provide some well-deserved but pretty tough love when he's when he's he's hitting poorly then at least he deserves a tip of the cap when he's hitting like this and uh i give a guy a lot of credit for doing the work and then performing on the field i think we've discussed the difference between spring training pitching and regular season pitching which is just it's 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 hard to explain to people the different level of quality between regular season and spring training, but uh, it'll be something we'll keep a close eye on, and I think we'll learn a lot in the in the first month. All right, the, the other thing I wanted to touch on with you is the supposed middle infield combination of the Detroit Tigers. Javi Baez and Jonathan Scope have played together for zero innings so far, I think. So they're they both should be in Lakeland right now. And when do you expect them to start putting innings on the field together this week? Because we only have a week of games left. Yeah, they're both going to be hitting the ground running. Obviously, you know, playing together Monday and then carrying that throughout the week. Both those guys are, are back in camp. And, uh, and yeah, it's go time for both of them coming back from the World Baseball Classic. And 
Javier Baez looked really good. I thought for Team Puerto Rico, he made some pretty sweet plays defensively. Also was pretty solid with the bat too. Had a had a couple of nice hits and, and also a pretty sweet home run in their last game that put him ahead early. Javier Baez is just going to have to tra- transfer that energy, right? Like I kind of I wrote a story about this. I've talked about this before. The World Baseball Classic energizes him. If you don't think it does, just go watch the clip of him hitting the home run um, against Team Mexico, and he was absolutely fired up. It was it was one of the coolest things that that I've seen out of a player. Just the pure excitement on his face and and what he can bring to a team. Like he has that kind of energy. Now he needs to channel that for himself and bring it to the Tigers this season. They they, they really need him to step up this year, and they need Jonathan Scope to step up too. And I think you know two players obviously in different situations because of their contract situations, but they need them both. They need them both, and they need both guys to start hitting. I don't think there's any question about that. For sure, they need Javi to do it. And look, behind Scope, they have some alternatives. Obviously, they got Hernandez, and later in the year, I think if they needed to, they could move Maton to second, depending on who they'd bring up to play third. So there's alternatives, but I think, you know, there's seven games left in the spring, and I expect these guys to play together four or five of those because you do need at-bats. You do need the rhythm of playing together. And as I said, they have played zero together. So I'll be looking forward to see what happens. As far as scope goes, I think Jonathan Scope knows he's got about 125 at-bats to start showing something, and probably fewer than that if he's like six for 52. So. He's going to need to get off to at least a competitive start so he can do a few things because I don't think they're going to have a ton of patience with him, especially with Cesar Hernandez available to play second base, who's had a very, very good spring and is, if nothing else, at least a passable average major league second baseman. So I I think for me, like with Scope, I was just kind of turned off by the fact that he struggled as much as he did early on, both with, you know, Curacao in the Caribbean series, a couple games in spring training, and then in the World Baseball Classic for the Netherlands. Not that I was expecting him to go out there and, and just absolutely rake, I understand it's an adjustment period for everybody, whether you're in spring training or you're going and playing in these you know, international tournaments. I understand there's that adjustment period for every hitter and you have to get comfortable in the box again, but he was still swinging and missing at pitches outside of the zone. That's part of his DNA. That's what he does. AJ Hinch mentioned earlier in camp back in the middle of February um, that he left over 30 walks on three ball chase. So that's, that's, that's like concerning, really concerning. And then AJ corrected himself and said he actually left 40 of them out there. So that's a lot of walks to leave out on the table, especially if you're not hitting. Got a 4.1% walk rate in his career. That's not what the Tigers want in their lineup. That's not what, you know, this new offensive identity is centered around at all. And that walk rate isn't going to change because of, of his age and where he's at in his career and how long he's been doing this. Guys that are his age, he's 31, they don't just all of a sudden, you know, start drawing walks and limiting strikeouts like nobody's business overnight. That doesn't happen. Um, and if he's trying to make a real effort at doing that, it almost makes me worry about him kind of, you know, losing his strengths in a way, which are hitting. If he's so focused on trying not to to, to chase pitches outside the zone, and he's still going to chase regardless if he's focused on that, but maybe then he's not focused as much on doing damage. And so, I think you kind of get into the weeds when you're trying to ask a player to, to make some of those changes. You would like to see him make some of those changes, but at the same time, part of me wonders if you, you just maybe got to try to tell him to just go out and, and, and do what you do. I, I don't know. It's a difficult situation with him, but either way, he's got to start hitting and drawing some walks wouldn't hurt his case either. And, and for Javi, for Javi Mark too, 
I do think the Tigers have done a really good job with him, and they've done a really good job handling him. From AJ Hinch, you know, having a meeting with him last season to going to visit him in Puerto Rico this off season to you know redoing the clubhouse to bringing the fences in to a new team playing like all these things that they're doing to kind of improve the environment for their players. Not that that's all centered at Javier Baez, but he's obviously you know a, a, a big piece of what's receiving that right. That he's he's a, a big core of this team. He's one of the big players in this clubhouse and someone that obviously they want to keep happy. They want to keep him happy in year two. And it sounds like from people that I've talked to, from talking to, to Javi himself, he just seems more comfortable heading into year two. I think that's a, that's a really good sign. And give the Tigers some credit for really building that relationship and continuing to move it in the right direction. All right, I'm going to move the conversation to Matt Manning. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. All right, Ev, let's talk about what was a big elephant in the room and now is not. Let's talk about Matt Manning. Had a start a couple days ago, and it was definitely a start that was going to determine whether he was going to start in Toledo or start in Comerica Park. So he went out there, and let's be really blunt about it. He was terrific, met the challenge. We saw what we needed to see from him. And if you understand what Matt Manning thrives on, no matter what Matt Manning thinks, Matt Manning is all about the fastball. He needs to command it, and he needs to throw a lot of them. And that baby looked good. And for the first time all spring, he did that. Mm-hmm. His velocity ticked back up into the 93-95 range. was getting swings and misses. And had a spectacular outing through three and two-thirds, no runs, pitched out of a big jam in the second. You got a chance to watch it. Tell me in person what it looked like for you. It looked really good. Let's credit Jake Rogers really quick, too, just for some of the things that he did behind the plate during that start to get Matt where he needed to be. I also want to give Jake some credit for when he called a mound visit. So Matt Manning gave up back-to-back singles, and then he walked a batter, loaded the bases, nobody out. And Jake Rogers, he goes out there and he calls this mountain visit. He goes out, talks to Matt. He says, hey, Matt, like, what, what do you want to throw? What's working for you right now? Like, what, what do we need to go to? And Matt said, slider. And so Rodolfo Duran steps into the box and Matt Manning throws three straight sliders and then blows him away with a fastball. And I was just like, whoa, okay. Like, like he, he came to play here. You know, that was a situation where you want to see a guy like Matt Manning in a moment like that in spring training. That's exactly what you want. If you're A.J. Hinch, Chris Fetter, Scott Harris, you want to see your guy under pressure and, and figure out, okay, how is he going to respond to this? And again, credit to Jake for calling the mound visit, going out there and asking them the simple question of, what pitch do you want to throw here? Where, what are you going to throw with conviction? And he did that. Next two batters, one popped out, one flied out, inning over. Caught a deep breath, got out of the jam. I, I thought that was probably the most impressive part of his start, even though he gave up the back-to-back singles, gave up the walk. And then from a stuff perspective, Mark, it was just fastball slider. It was fastball slider and mix in a couple of change-ups, a couple of curveballs when you need them, but just stick to what works for you. And what works for him is the fastball and then the slider playing off of that. And even when the slider isn't, isn't great, when it's not phenomenal, it can still be a good pitch for him. And he needs to use it to kind of get the most out of his fastball. I, I like the pitch mix. I like what he was able to do, just throwing the fastball as much as he did. Velo was up. It was a really good sign. I don't know if that start was going to make or break the Detroit or Toledo 
conversation. I don't know. I don't know if he would have, you know, if he would have been, if he would have had a poor outing, would that have sent him off to Toledo automatically? Maybe, maybe not. But I know that 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 locked him in. I mean, that that was a pretty impressive start. Good to see it. Good to see the fastball back. I think I've gone over the data from last year. Baseball savant. Based on how many innings he threw, if we were to extrapolate it to a 140-inning season from, I think, the 70-plus that he threw, he would have one of the top five fastballs by value in Major League Baseball last year. So, If he's, lo- really, if he's locating the fastball, it's that's the difference maker for him. That's, all, that's the difference maker. And, and it's not just the pure velocity of it. It's the extension, the location, and the movement, especially arm side. So... Good job, Matt Manning. Tip of the cap. Rose to the occasion. Hopefully we can see more of that, see good health. And just so you know, if you're listening, Matt, Mark Gorosh said, please learn how to throw a cutter. I want to try to move on from that and discuss what seems to be something that's pretty interesting, which is a lot of activity at the bottom end of the bullpen here. Hard to extrapolate who's coming north and who's not. You and I had to talk about it earlier today, and we couldn't agree either. So let's kind of discuss a little bit about what we both think and see how this week sorts out. We'll know in a week who was right and who was wrong, but on the bus for sure we know are, you know, Alex Lang, Jason Foley, Cisnero, and then we start... Mason Englert, I think, has been a beautiful surprise. Rule five pick, got to keep him. So he's on, he's on the bus, and then we start getting into the Tyler Alexander discussion. So I would like to see them not take Tyler Alexander, but now that it, they've spent some money on him and he has three years of, you know, bottom end of a roster, but major league performance. You told me today that you feel pretty confident that he's almost a lock for the roster at this point. I, I think he's a lock just because of the fact that, you know, you went out and you you didn't non-tender him. You tendered him a contract and then made good on that by getting the deal done fairly quickly. And I look, it's 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 one point eight eight million dollars. I don't think you just throw that down the drain. I, I, I think you trust in Tyler Alexander. I think you believe in him. I do think he does when he's right. He does something that they have been preaching, which is throw strikes. They just want their pitchers to throw strikes. And when he's right, he throws strikes. Now, if you're going to take his five games in spring training, seven and two-thirds innings, and you're going to say, okay, now this guy doesn't throw strikes, I don't think that's fair to the player. So that's why I think he's he's a lock to be on the bus. Granted, the bus isn't going very far uh, this year, only from Lakeland to, to uh, St. Petersburg. But I just think his track record is the reason why he's on the team. Now, does that mean that he's going to have an established role all year long? Um, no, I'm not saying that. Do I think that he needs to prove himself? Most definitely. The strikeout numbers were down last year compared to, to the previous season. The walk numbers were, were obviously kind of where they've always been. And even Tyler Alexander, when he's right, I don't think he's you know the, the, the greatest pitcher ever, right? I'm not, I'm not out here saying that you know he's the next great pitcher, but it's like he does enough things right. He does a couple of those little things right that you really like out of your pitcher, but he also doesn't do anything that blows you away and, you know, has you saying that, you know, this is a guy that's going to ever pitch in leverage. He's never going to pitch in leverage. It's just not who he is. He's a long reliever who's going to eat up innings for you when you're blowing a team out 
or when you're losing by a lot and you just needed someone to throw strikes and maybe some situational stuff too. But for the most part, a guy that can go, you know, a couple innings and, and can eat some things up for you. I like him because of, for those reasons, but I also understand why you're frustrated just because he's not getting out. He's giving up home runs. He's walking guys. Um, he's not getting a ton of strikeouts and he's giving up a lot of hits. I get it. More importantly, his velocity's down, you know, under 89 miles an hour and the quality of his pitches are not very good. He does have two options left. He has been a major leaguer for over three years of service time, so I think that complicates demoting him. Uh, but it's something to keep an eye on, and I don't think they'll have a real long lease for Tyler Alexander. He's basically been a pitcher on a terrible team for three years, and if he's going to start regressing, I don't think their patience level is going to be real long with him. So, all right, let's 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 talk about a few other things that we discussed that we had some differing opinions on. And Bo Brisky uh, saw a list that Enoceris uh, did about pitchers that have increased the quality of their, their stuff plus velocity near the top of the list in spring training. At the same time, not getting a lot of people out. Think that's a little worrisome. A lot of good stuff. Not enough outs. You think he's still got a great chance to make the roster? I think he's going to end up in Toledo now unless he throws really well this week, which I'm sure is a possibility. But he's going to have to throw a heck of a lot better than he's thrown in the last two weeks. Then I start scratching my head, though. It's like, who else are you going to take over him? I think Garrett Hill would make a lot of sense, too. He was also on that list, by the way. We've seen Garrett Hill with his velo tick up. His sliders look really good. Brisky, obviously, you know, velo's up. Changeup's really good. A um, little bit different of, of pitchers there, but also, you know, they both seen they both seen improvements kind of behind the scenes metrically, right? But they're neither of them are really getting outs either. We haven't really seen that a ton from from Garrett Hill. So you kind of just like run out of names. You know, Will Vest is working on fixing his delivery on the backfield. He's only thrown in three games. I don't think he's going to be on the open day roster just because of that. We're just simply running out of time. And I do think that the spring training sample size is is too small. But yeah, I mean, look, if we have Alex Lang, Jose Cisnero, Jason Foley, Mason Englert, and let's just let's just say, to make me happy, Tyler Alexander, that puts us at five. I mm-hmm. think Jason Shreve is going to be Locked. in the bullpen for sure. So that's six. We've seen him filthy splitter, increased velo, pretty solid command. I, I, I like what I see out of him. I think he's really good, a lefty, obviously. So that's, that's huge. So that's six. So you're looking at two spots remaining between Will Vest, Bo Brisky, Garrett Hill, Edwin Uceda, Tyler Bolton, uh, Matt Whistler, who I don't think is making the team, Trevor Rosenthal, who they've already said is not going to make the team for, for opening day just because they want to be really careful with him health-wise. Miguel Diaz, Jace Fry, Kirvin Castro. I think Alex Vito probably starts the season as a starter in AAA Toledo. But all those names that I just mentioned, though, at the end there, that's that you got two spots. You only got to pick two guys. Like You're missing a personal favorite of both of ours. In, when you have this many players, it's easy to forget. Did I miss Trey Wingenter? There you go, baby. Well, I think he's on the bus. But that's just me. I think he's completely nasty. And I don't think you have to worry about his health because I think he's – He's done enough now to show you that, you know, you don't have to. He has. They haven't babied him to this point in spring training. So why all of a sudden would they, you know, start start worrying about him in that way? He's recovered well. His stuff looks great. He's starting to throw more strikes, which is really really encouraging because when he's inside the strike zone, he's absolutely dangerous and, and completely filthy. I love me some Trey Wingenter, but 
And, but again, and that would make it seven. And then you got, you got one more left to pick from. And that's just a lot of names. It's, it's somebody's going to have to earn their way on the roster this week. I think Miguel Diaz has been pretty good. I think when, when Genter is going to have to earn his way on the bus this week by throwing well two times, he, he can't afford a blow up. I think, you know, especially a blow up where he didn't throw strikes. So, if he does throw well this week, I think he's almost a lock. His stuff is too good not to take. So it'll be interesting to see how this stuff works itself out. Holton's been pretty good as a lefty. And, you know, the rest of the guys, I think mean, Yuseta has been okay. I think he's the bottom of the bullpen kind of guy. Slider's pretty good. They've obviously tweaked him a little bit. Tops out, 94-95. Can be effective. I don't think he's getting anybody too excited. But the bullpen is going to be, I think, a revolving door of a lot of names in the first 45 days of the season because they have a lot of names. So I'm sure a few of them are going to perform very well in Toledo, and I'm sure a few will struggle in the major leagues, and we're going to see probably a pretty active revolving door in the Detroit bullpen, considering their top four bullpen arms of 2022 are not here. So besides Alex Lang. So, Hey, the one thing I will say on Wingenter too, is just, he hasn't pitched back-to-back days yet. So that is the one thing that we do. I I think you want to see that before the season starts. So before March 30th, let's see him go back-to-back and make sure the body recovers from that type of a workload. But, so far, he's been really impressive to me. I, I, I think he's going to be on that bus for sure, as long as he's able to get through a back-to-back and show that he can he can recover and, and do well there. And then, yeah, it just comes down to, you know, if Alexander is on the, on, on the bullpen, you just really have to pick between Bo Brisky, Garrett Hill, Will Vest, I guess, if he can come back from these delivery issues in, in short order, which I don't think he will be able to. Edwin Huseta, Tyler Holton, Miguel Diaz, Kervin Castro maybe as a sleeper, but I think that's kind of your group for that last spot. And that is a lot of names. But again, there's gonna, it's going to be a revolving door. So we're going to see a bunch of different guys up in Detroit this season. I don't think it really matters who makes the opening day roster because we're going to see so many of them. It's just a fun discussion to have. We, you know, weirdly, never been a huge Will Vest guy, but he was functionally solid in the role they gave him last year and appeared in 60 games. So... I think it's easy to take for granted what he did, but what they asked him to do last year, he actually did pretty well and pretty actively. So it would help their bullpen if they can get his uh, mechanics issues ironed out. I'm sure we'll see him a few times this week, you know, to see how that's progressing. All right, we're going to take our last break. We'll be back to discuss the lineup. All right, 10 days till opening day. Want to try to go over what we think the lineup will be. I know you did a piece on it this week. You gave us what you think where we're at with the starting lineup. Let's get it started. We both think Jake Rogers is going to catch a lot more than people suspect. Talk to us using Jake at catcher and where we go from there. I think just first and foremost, he's the best defensive catcher on the Tigers roster. 
And I think that that's all that really matters. And if this team is winning, um, which again, we'll have to see what they can do, but if, if they're winning, I think Jake Rogers is going to catch a ton. If they're able to get this thing turned around and in the right direction, he's going to be the guy. And especially because Eric Haas can play left field. He can come off the bench and hit against lefties. And, and DH. Also, right, and DH. He can DH. And we know that you know he's a below-average defender. He's got above-average power. So when Miguel Cabrera needs a day off, regardless of why the reason, whatever the reason is, Haas can slide right in there in DH. He can play left field. He can come off the bench. And Rodgers looks really, really good. I mean, just the way that he was working with Matt Manning in Matt's last start it was just it was so impressive to me. And, you know, the throws that he's made, he made a couple back picks. He's thrown some guys out. His arm looks really good. He looks super comfortable. He caught back-to-back games for the first time in spring training, you know, last week. And so I, I feel really good about him. And he can't play a different position. Eric Haas can. You can't really find other ways to get Jake Rogers at bats. You can for Eric Haas. So to me, as camp has gone along, it just makes a lot of sense for me that Rodgers is going to end up catching more than maybe anybody thinks. Yeah, Jakey Rogers, big-time glue player. I think people underrate that, and a lot of people like to say things about it. But uh, Jake Rogers is an important part of the Detroit Tigers winning. And uh, if he's going to continue to play well, they're going to play him a lot more than people are suspecting. And if Eric Eric Haas hits, they're going to find places for him to play. Take the thing too, is, for it. well, the thing too though is is Jake hasn't looked too bad at the plate either. Mark, he's looked pretty comfortable up there, and he talked about missing so much time with Tommy John and being able to work on his swing. And he didn't change anything um, you know, dramatically, but it was kind of like some small, subtle little tweaks that he was able to make to get himself in better positions to do damage. And we've seen that so far in spring. Again, take spring training stats for what you will, but. I think it's impressive, all things considered, especially coming back from Tommy John surgery. Now he's going to have a real chance to to be the dude here that you know everybody kind of wished and, and hoped that he was going to be when the Tigers acquired him for Justin Verlander yeah, um, think, as a part of that deal. It proofs in the pudding, but I think at the same time, I, I just want people to understand that Jake Rogers is going to carve out some playing time if he keeps playing like this. 100%. All right, walk, rock us around the infield quickly. Yeah, Torkelson at first base. We talked about him enough. Javier Baez at shortstop. We've talked about him quite a bit. Nick Maton at third base, especially against right-handed pitchers. We've talked about him quite a bit. Um, Jonathan Scope at second base, at least to start the season. I think those three are, are, are pretty much locks uh, when it comes to, to Torkelson. Baez and Mayton. I think Scope has some things to prove, but I think the four of them are going to be the guys to start the season. I think that's that's almost no question at this point. Outfield is pretty locked in too. I, I feel pretty good about that. Austin Meadows in left field, Riley Green in center field, and Matt Veerling in right field. They could shuffle those a little bit. You might see Riley Green playing a corner and, and Veerling playing center field every once in a while. We could see um, some mixing and matching there depending on different ballparks and um, where they want to put their best outfielders. That'll be interesting to see as the season goes along. I'll be fascinated to see Austin Meadows just in terms of where he's at when the season starts. His ground ball rate is is kind of crazy right now in spring training. He's hitting so many balls on the ground, um, especially against left-handed pitchers. So I think if that's still a problem come opening day, maybe he's not playing as often against certain left-handed pitchers. That kind of goes into some of the mix and match that we talk about. Obviously, Meadows is a lock against righties, but... We'll see. We'll see if this guy can get back to really being an everyday all-star caliber player. It's going to take time. He missed a, a, a ton of time, obviously, last year dealing with several things, um, both mental health, physical health, that, that sidelined him. You want to see him get back because, Mark, we both know what he can do when he's right. I thought uh, 
Meadows actually swung the bat pretty well this week. I don't think he's, you know, more than 70 or 75% back to where he could be. I saw him hit the, hit the ball hard quite a few times, got into good counts. It's not where it needs to be, but it seemed like it was coming on. Yes, he is hitting the ball on the ground a lot, but he is, and I've said this multiple times, if Javi Baez isn't the most pivotal player in their lineup, Austin Meadows is. I mean, so if Austin Meadows gets back to being Austin Meadows, you got a guy that's, you know, a, a four or five hole hitter that hits 25 jacks and knocked in 100 runs. That's a production level that they don't have anybody else on their squad who's ready to start doing those kind of things or has done it in the major leagues. So we need Austin Meadows to start hitting the ball hard and hit, hitting the ball in the air. Matt Veerling, we haven't really seen Matt Veerling. So the idea we're counting on him to start the year, I know he's had some swelling in his knee and he's doing better, but uh, I think he's going to have to show a little something this week and mostly he's going to have to show that he's healthy. So if he's not healthy, I think uh, oh, Trey Turner just hit another home run. <laughs> Trey Turner is like Babe Ruth in this in the WBC right now. <laughs> um, it, it, we're gonna actually, you know, I, I think Matt Carpenter's been swinging the bat pretty good this week, and you know, Akil Badu is showed a few things also this week. So if Matt Veerling isn't ready to go, you got two other guys that may be ready to go. So this week between those three guys, obviously Veerling having the inside track because he's a right hand hitter going to have to have to see where we're at and what's going to go on. What's your thoughts about that? Yeah, over the weekend, yeah, Matt Veerling went through some return to play stuff. He should be all good. I, I have no doubts that he's going to be ready to go for, for opening day. I obviously, you, know, you want to see him in a game, of course, but I, I think he'll be good to go and, and a part of that starting outfield um, when the Tigers open up against the Rays. But you're right. It, it does come down to, to Kerry Carpenter and Nikhil Badu. Though that's kind of the closest roster battle in camp. You got two left-handed hitting outfielders, totally different pro- profiles. Both are below average defenders, but Badu has speed. Carpenter has power. Um, the Tigers have spent a lot of time actually teaching some baseball awareness stuff on the bases. They want to get back to taking risks. That obviously plays right into Badu's style of play. But also, you're going to need some power. And you know maybe you get a lot of that from Torgelson. Maybe you get a lot of that from Baez. And maybe Meadows is, is what Meadows can be. And you know, you get enough from green too, and you feel pretty good about it and wipe your hands clean. And you know, that you got some power there and maybe you don't need um, to feel like you have to have Kerry Carpenter's power in the lineup. That's the way that I see it going right now. I think Badu has a little bit of an inside track there. I don't know if that roster battle is, uh, is complete yet. Obviously, you know, AJ Hinch hasn't said anything about it being, being done yet. So it seems like those two guys are still duking it out. And obviously on my bench, I got Eric Haas as well. If, Jake Rogers is going to catch a majority of the games. Eric Haas is the catcher, left fielder, and, and designated hitter. And then the other guys that are in the mix, Cesar Hernandez, veteran switch hitter. I think he should feel good about making the opening day roster at this point. He hasn't hit a home run yet, and uh, he only hit one last season, which was disappointing coming off a year in which he hit a ton of home runs in 2021 and looked really good. Hasn't hit as many homers since then, but he has a ton of doubles so far in spring training. Looks really comfortable at the plate. Looks great defensively. I think he probably pushes Jonathan Scope for some playing time, some serious playing time. I also think he's probably a lock to make the opening day roster because, you know, having a switch hitter doesn't hurt. Um, that's something that that you want on your team. 
So I think Cesar Hernandez is, is, is locked. Almost as close. There you go. Thank you, Mark. Cesar Hernandez is a lock. And if he's a lock, then I really am down to three players um, to platoon with Nick Maton at third base. And you're going to need that. Obviously, Nick Maton being a left-handed hitter, you need a right-handed hitting third baseman to platoon with them. If the Tigers are going to take that route, Ryan Kreidler, Andy Abanez, Tyler Nevin, it's not going to be Nevin because of the oblique injury that he's dealing with. So it leads me to Ryan Kreidler and Andy Abanez. And I have a quick thought on that, Mark, but I want to get your take. Are you a Kreidler guy or are you an Abanez guy at this point in camp? I don't think Kreidler can hit a lick, but he can play defense, which A.J. Hinch, Hinch likes. I think they would like Kreidler to get at bats in Toledo to start the year. So if Abanez shows anything, I think he's going to be the guy coming north. And as soon as Tyler Nevin starts hitting down there, then they'll have to make a decision about it. I think when it comes down to just the opening day roster and what that looks like and who you're going to give more time to, you know, Kreidler obviously being more of the development piece where Abanez had been there before. He was with the Rangers, um, and the Tigers obviously picked him up off waivers. He was his opening day third baseman for the Rangers last year. Banged up his finger in the WBC with, uh, with Team Cuba in an exhibition game. He's healed up from that. Back in the lineup for Team Cuba on Sunday, so we played in that game. And, um, and yeah, so he's, he's good. He's healthy. He's ready to go. I like Abanez because he has a higher contact rate against breaking balls than Ryan Kreidler, and I think it kind of goes into this idea of the matchups that um, the Tigers are going to want to use with their roster, and they're going to want to try to exploit those as much as possible. Nick Maton crushes righties and fastballs, but he struggles against lefties and breaking balls. The way that I look at it is, when the Tigers want someone who crushes lefties and can handle breaking balls, Abanez handles breaking balls better than Kreidler, and he crushes lefties. Abanez just makes too much sense, especially considering Kreidler, his development, what happened last season with the injuries, slowing him down and just wanting to get him back on track and getting him more at-bats. I think you get those for him in Toledo. All right, we're going to find out about Andy Abanez this week. I, I have a pretty simple theory about this stuff. I'm a, I'm a show-me kind of guy. I can do pretty hard analysis when I see people play, and I need to see him play. So, uh, Andy Abanez. You're next up on the podium. Uh, need to see a few bats. Need to see what you do. And if you do well, there's a good chance you're coming north. All right, I wanted to pivot to a couple of things. One, I'm, I think we're going to do a minute on real fast and just welcome to the family. Tigers added a few broadcasters this week, and I got a chance to listen to them. I'm usually pretty hard on broadcasters, i.e. Matt Shepard. But... Uh, They've added uh, Cameron Mabin to both the TV and the radio side. Got a chance to listen to him on the radio. I'm not sure how much you got a chance to listen today when he was on the radio, but he was a revelation of greatness. I mean, he was really terrific with Dickerson. A lot of insights, a lot of player perspective. Brought it in a way that a casual fan could understand or the most sophisticated fan, a real upgrade. We all love Jim Price, but Look, Jim's getting up there, and it's good to add some fresh blood to the mix. Cam Maven did a great job. I don't know if you had a chance to hear him at all. Did you get a chance or no? No, actually, I, I didn't listen to him today, but I'm definitely going to be listening moving forward. I've had some conversations with him. Um, first off, just a great guy. I'm, I'm super pumped for him to have this opportunity and get a chance to do this both on the TV side and the radio side. Obviously, he's played for the Tigers you know, three times in his career, um, actually in 2007, 2016, and 2020, and, you know, Got called up for his uh, for his big league debut with the Tigers, and there's there's a rich history there between Cam Maben and the Tigers, and 
just one of the best guys. He's a great personality. I saw him in the clubhouse, you know, when he first showed up this spring, um, not too long ago, and just was going around the clubhouse and, and talking to different guys and sharing conversations with Spencer Turnbull and, you know, Spencer Torkelson, you know, the, the, the young and the more veteran. And just he, he really understands the blend of it. And obviously just a super smart baseball mind, too, who's been there, done that. And um, look, when you play over 1,000 games for 10 different teams in 15 seasons in the big leagues, and you were a former number 10 overall pick, one, you're really good, and two, you know a little bit about the game. I think he's going to be such a treat for Tigers fans this year. Um, they should really soak it in. Couldn't have said it any better. Thought uh, the mentoring thing to some of the younger players was an absolute bonus. Uh, excited to add him to the mix. Thought he made Monroe's commentary better. They were really good together. Excited to have him. We've also added a gentleman named Bobby Scales, who's an ex-University of Michigan player, played a little bit of cup of coffee in the major leagues, was part of player development with the Rays. Also an extremely good debut. Very sharp mind on the radio with Dickerson. Brought a lot of perspective about player development, sharp insights about the game. He'll do about, I think, 40 road games with Dickerson. Good to see. Out of the box thinking and, you know, a tip of the cap to people who made the decisions to bring these new gentlemen on board. I, I really think it's upgrading the broadcast, you know, and Maven's going to do some radio and TV and Bobby Scales is going to just do radio, but excited to have them. So looking forward to making the season a little more interesting. They brought some quality talent to the radio uh, and TV booth. Excited to have them. I also wanted to touch a little bit for the first time, kind of waiting to see if we got a sample size, what you think about some of the new rules. The games have been really, really sped up. Some other things about base stealing. I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are quickly. Yeah, Mark, I was very thankful uh, for the pitch clock on Sunday after you know having the WBC late on Saturday and then having to drive to West Palm and, and be there for that and cover the game. I was just looking to get home and uh, and get some rest. And the pitch clock made things very quick. Uh, the pitch clock and the water Rodriguez, two things that go well together. Um, no, I I don't I don't have a problem with any of these rule changes. I, I think. The shift rule is interesting. I think we're going to see, you know, pitchers being, you know, getting frustrated. We've kind of already seen that at times. You know, last season there were certain balls hit that those would have been outs because of the shift, and now they're not. Well, you know, that's that's going to be an adjustment period for sure, and it's going to carry over into the regular season when obviously these aren't spring training games. Spring training games they don't count towards anything. In the regular season, they all do, and there's more of an intensity that comes with that. So I think we could see some of that with the with the shift rule. Um, I think the pitch clock is a great thing for baseball. I think it keeps the game moving. The biggest question, and this might even be a longer segment, Mark, is what do you do about the postseason? What do you do about the World Series? I mean, that that is something that has kind of irked me since this started is, you know, if you're going to be all in, shouldn't you just be all in? Like, I don't see how you can implement the pitch clock during the season only to pull it back during the postseason or only during the World Series or only in the ninth inning or, or however that's going to work. I don't, to me, it doesn't make sense to kind of be half in, half out. I think you should be all the way in. Maybe not even half in, half out, but you know, don't don't dip your toe. Jump in the pool if you're going to jump in the pool. So that that's my take on the pitch clock. Otherwise, I like it. It keeps the game moving. It's obviously changed things in terms of the way that pitchers are using pitch com and catchers are using pitch com to call their pitches. The tempo is definitely fascinating. It's going to be something to watch as pitchers and catchers try to work together. And obviously... You know, hitters got to get in the box and they got to be looking at the pitcher with eight seconds left on that clock. 
Otherwise, it's a violation. All right, quickly, love the pitch clock. Don't think we've seen all the strategy that will be employed employed yet. I think there's a lot more that's going to go on during the regular season than we've seen in spring training. A lot of gamesmanship, a lot of cool stuff. I think it'll be fun. Like that they eliminated the shift. I understand, you know, some people hate it. Some people like it. It's like, you know, they've changed defenses in the NBA and in the NHL many times. I mean, you outlaw stuff, you change it, you try to improve your game. I think essentially killing the shift probably will end up helping the game because it's going to increase batting average. And I think we needed to increase batting average. I like the bigger bases. People colliding into each other at first base, covering first is ridiculous. You know, guys making the turn at second, uh, you know, getting killed. That, you know, that was great in 1987, but I think the game's evolved from there. And adding some stolen bases and the step-off rule, I think that'll also be very interesting, something that might evolve a little bit. All in all, I'm pretty much in favor of these rule changes. I'm excited to see how they get implemented. I also want to let everybody know for the pod next week, and Evan and I will both tweet this or, you know, just try to put it out in the paper. We're going to do our first Petzold and Gorosh mailbag to start the season for opening day. Everybody else has done a mailbag. We have not. We're going to do one for next week. So if you got questions for Evan Petzold and Mark Gorosh, we're excited to hear what you have to say. Ask anything doesn't mean we'll answer anything. Um, yes, Evan is very tan and he probably has the nicest hair of any beat writer in America. Oh, those, things I can, those things I can answer for you right now. Anyways, we're going to wrap up this week. Ev, you got anything you want to close with? No, look, I mean, like you just said, like send in the mailbag request. We'd love to answer questions. We definitely want to be that, that outlet to be able to answer some questions, whether it's Tigers related, non-Tigers related, whatever it is, we'll try to get to it. Like you said, you, know, you can ask anything, but it doesn't mean we're going to answer everything and anything, but yeah, let's have some fun with it. I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, hopefully we get some really good questions, both insightful and um, maybe also some some fun questions that are going to allow us to kind of kick back and, and have a couple laughs in the pod too. If you want to ask us about food, if you want to ask us if Cody Stavenhagen is a great dresser, please <laughs> feel free to ask. want to remind everybody to please rate the podcast, share it, subscribe where you uh, listen to any podcast. You can always find us always within an article that Evan Petzold writes on the free or uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. I'd personally like to thank our executive producer, sports editor, Kirk Crawford, executive producer, inter- interim editor of the Detroit Free Press, and Jeanette Delgado, our producer who makes us sound way better than we really are, Robin Chan. Uh, as always, I'd like to thank my tiny grandson, Braden Michael Gorosh, who is not very well behaved in the restaurant today. Evan's fiance, Savannah. And this week, I'd like to thank uh, my buddy Chris Brown at Tigers Minor League Report because nobody posts highlights faster for all of us to use or puts cut ups together better. And I'd like to say what up to my boy D Weezy. You know who you are. And we'll see you next week. Peace. <laughs>